0: This week on Happy Second Confused, Sam Richardson on Veep, Detroiters, and wanting in on a Marvel movie. And Colin Trevorrow on Dinosaurs, Star Wars, and going small with the Book of Henry. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to the podcast, a fun podcast with Sammy as always.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. It's very, very wrestling announcement.
0: That's what I'm going for. This is all just a gateway drug for me to finally oh. become the wrestling announcer I was born to be.
1: You'd be like, oh, he's really nasally today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why is he wearing so much spandex in the <laughs> podcast booth? Um, no, actually, I was never a big wrestling fan, to be honest. Does that surprise you? Oh, you
1: wanted to read books.
0: What? You wanted to read books. I did like reading books. I read oh. a lot more when I was a kid than I do did now. Did you read
1: comic books or real books? Uh, both. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you know how to read?
1: <laughs> no, but I read magazines. <laughs> <laughs> do you read magazines? No.
0: What's your favorite magazine?
1: Oh, Entertainment Weekly. Classic. Shout out. EW. I do. Yeah, that's the only one I subscribe to. Really? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like my my EW. I like, uh, not that you ask because you don't seem to care. (laughs) I
1: don't. No, I guess. (laughs) uh, All right, let's hear it.
0: Get my my van fair.
1: Oh, only if, I only like it if it's a good person on the cover.
0: Well, there's, it's a big magazine. There's a lot more than just No, no, the, no. What I like about Vanity Fair in <laughs> no, no, no. this age of print dying is it's one of the few magazines that still has like – there's some bulk to it.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm just a firm believer in judging things by their covers. Right. So <laughs> if it's not – doesn't look good, no, I have no real interest that's, that's in fair, it. That's
0: fair. That's fair. I feel like yeah. we're having two different conversations I'm obsessed with the size of the magazine. You're obsessed with the cover. Obs- yeah. Because I'm upset. Here's what I'm upset. You want to know what I'm upset about? I'd love to. Because I grew up reading like like crazy on magazines. I would ha- I subscribe to everything and – um. And I, yeah, for a while, I wanted to like, and I did work in magazines for, briefly. But like, some magazines that I grew up with, like Rolling Stone, is mm-hmm. like a pamphlet nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's like that used- twenty-four pages. i remember when and it was really big it used to be too. Big. I missed that. Oh, I, it's it's just not a good subject. It's yeah. a sad subject.
1: No, it is. You're right. Vanity Fair is the only. Well, and then like. The real ones, like The Economist like, like,
0: or whatever. Okay, I thought you were going to say in terms of bulk, because you still have the fashion magazines are still big, like the Vogue. Yeah, but and all those that. are all ads. The
1: ads, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, anyway, anywho, the show. speaking of ads and <laughs> Vogue and Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, I'm sure Sam Richardson's going to end up in the pages of Vogue one of these days.
1: Yeah, he's very Vogue. He's very <laughs> Met Ball. Yeah. Um, if you guys don't know the name Sam
0: Richardson, you know the face, you know the comedy stylings of Sam Richardson. Uh, of course, Richard split on veep. What? Uh, he's my favorite. I, he's great. And that's saying something because that's a cast, that's a that's a rogues gallery of comedy icons. What? Rogues
1: gallery. Oh yeah, of course.
0: Okay. Um no, but uh season 6 is coming to an end this Sunday on HBO Veep. Don't worry, it will be back next season, season 7 of course. Um and uh yeah, he's kind of a scene stealer on that one. It kind really of like is. the um the sweet innocent voice of Richard Split amid That nest of vipers. Yeah, he is.
1: He's like this, like, heart that just is in the middle of all of this negativity.
0: Yeah, Uh, he's great on the show. And he's also, he just recently um, uh, wrapped uh, season one of Detroiters on Comedy Central, uh, which is a funny show. I caught it up on recently when I knew he was gonna be on. And it's uh, him and a friend of his co created it and co wrote it and uh, star in it. And it's basically about, like, kind of like low level ad men in Detroit. Uh, and Sam actually grew up in Detroit, oh. uh, and uh, kind of tapped into some of that for the show. A very, very funny show that is, yes, getting a season two as well. And you can oh, catch up. Great. Yes, and you can catch up on season one. It's on demand. That's how I found it uh, on Comedy Central. So, um, so yeah, a lot to talk about with him. And later on in the show, uh, after uh, the comedy stylings of Sam Richardson, um, for Film Geek fans, this is uh, an exciting one. Uh, Colin Trevorrow, who has so much going on, he is. Uh, the director of he, he infamously kind of came to uh, you know f- fame in the film world from Safety Not Guaranteed, the small film that was at Sundance and then made this gigantic leap to Jurassic World.
1: So he has a big couple years coming up. Oh my
0: god, so Jurassic World is, is the fourth highest grossing film of all time he mm-hmm. made and he is about to uh, direct episode 9 of Star Wars mm-hmm. next. Uh, he's just written the Jurassic World sequel, which is being filmed right now, and in the middle of all that has also directed uh, a smaller film called Book of Henry. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but a, a lot uh, coming up with Colin, and we cover all of that. We
1: talk so you figure you have the whole plot of Star Wars. We he don't tells have the you. plot, <laughs> but I will
0: say we talked a lot about Star Wars. So if you're if you've tuned into the podcast this week for Star Wars scoop, or at least Colin Trevorrow talking about Star Wars, you'll you'll get Star Wars talk. You're not gonna get like, he mentioned the word Star Wars. <laughs> no, it's 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 more than it's it's much more than that. Frankly, I mean, I knew enough not to ask like spoilery questions, but it's interesting to hear him kind of weigh in on why he loves Star Wars, how he got. The job, etc. Uh, but that's later on. we we'll are get we'll get there, one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, go to my conversation with Sam Richardson. He just exited the podcast booth. That seat is probably still warm. It is with it's Sam Richardson. He feels s- nice. Yeah, 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 he's a sweet guy. <laughs> um, uh, check out uh, Veep and check out Detroiters and enjoy this conversation with the very funny guy Sam Richardson. Sam Richardson has the audacity to show up 25 minutes early for an interview. Who the fuck do you think you are, man? A big shot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's great to meet you, though. I'm a big fan of your work. Oh, thank uh, um, you. Of course, uh, everybody knows you from Veep. And uh, congratulations on Detroiters as well, man. Well, thank you very much. Uh, which has been green up for a second season. It has. Uh, we're, we're writing it uh, right now, at the
2: tail end of writing it, we're going to go and start filming in uh, July, mid July. Uh, isn't And hopefully it'll, it'll come out, uh, if according to schedule, probably end of February, middle of February. Nice.
0: So, um, g- give me a sense of. Well, I mean, uh, we're going to cover both of those, but I, since we're talking a little Detroiters, and I know that's obviously your 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 baby, mm-hmm. uh, you and your your buddy. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, like, just sort of like, were you? Because this is the first thing of this scale, certainly, that you totally have created and written and started. And, you know, it's it's a big deal to get something like that off the ground, much less on Comedy Central, yeah. and then to get the audience and good reviews, and then to get the second season. So just give me a sense of sort of like, were you stealing yourself for disappointment? Was this, uh, what was I, the process like? I th- I think like the whole way, like it was like, well, all right. Like,
2: like every step of the way, I was prepared for it to be like done. Like, all right, well... You know, we weren't, we weren't able to sell the, the pitch. Okay, well, we did. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we weren't able to, like, the, the pilot, someone went, went wrong with the pilot too bad. Oh, okay, but then, like, it didn't. So, like, every step of the way, like, just preparing yourself for uh, for disappointment, but then, like, been pleasantly and, and incredibly happily uh, surprised that you just yeah. keeps on moving forward. Uh, and... uh with me like like because like in the show it's me and Tim and like you know we're best friends and that's that's true in real life we, we're we're a little bit uh codependent on each other wow. so we I really didn't have like a lot of space to be uh, too nervous about it because Tim was just full on in spin out mode so, so like he's even worse he's even further he's down, the, even road. Further down <laughs> the road so like all the time I'm like if, if I wanted to spin out there's no time to I'm like trying to make sure Tim doesn't spin out all the way <laughs>
0: that's probably healthy in a weird bizarre fucked up way maybe
2: <laughs> like the show's doing good and he's like oh no this one person online doesn't like it so I'm like well wait Tim let's right. take a second <laughs> <laughs> like, this is what we, we be- should cancel this show. You're like, no, this is what we've been dreaming about, <laughs> this man. This is what we've been dreaming about. <laughs> this doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, I know Sudeikis has been a big supporter of, of you guys. Who, uh-huh. Who's one of the smartest, funniest guys on the planet. How did you guys get uh, associated with him, and how did he kind of help shepherd this one?
2: Uh, well, we're all Second City family, right. uh, so I I met uh, Jason through Second City. Uh, in fact, I, I met him when he was he was already at SNL. I uh, went to see a show uh, to see a taping of SNL when I was on the touring company. Met him there, uh, and then he would come to to Second City uh, in Chicago and like do the sets, and then we became fast friends that way. Right, uh, Tim, Jason, and I all, uh, and then Tim went to to work at SNL with Jason, and Jason kind of took him under his wing and then it was like, you know, you guys should do a show. You guys should be doing cuz like we'd always talked about it. Sure. You know, Tim living in New York at that point, and me living in LA, uh but we'd all all the way through when we were in Detroit and then we were in Chicago together, we were like, Let's, we should do a show. But then Jason was like, you should do that show. Do that show. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Then I guess you have the power to do it now <laughs> or the like the the avenues that exist.
0: You can get you in the room you can and get make you in it in the room, yeah. you know. <laughs> then it's on you. Yeah, exactly. So what um what do you like? Tend to like? What's your point of entry with people when you meet someone like Sudeikis or something like that? Like, how do you bond with a person? Like on what level? Are...
2: genuflect. <laughs> uh, that's,
0: that's the automatic. Have I noticed. a gift. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you didn't bring me anything, man. No.
2: There's like a dead squirrel I brought in my teeth. It's <laughs> I, I put it in your office oh, somewhere.
0: That'll be a nice surprise.
2: Yeah. If you if you find it, the, the the key is to find it before the smell
0: hits. The smell hits. It turns exactly. <laughs>
2: But then the funny thing is, you got to use the smell to find it. Oh, so chicken and eggs. You know?
0: <laughs> but I mean, do you because I know like Jason's like a big sports guy. I, I uh, like is that like a point of entry for you? And like, what's a what's a point of commonality with you and your friends that like you? Comedy is really it, like if you it. have
2: the ability to get in a room and just do bits with each
0: other. Yeah, yeah. Then that's like the the language. <laughs> and you so uh, for anyone that, that doesn't know Detroiters, as the name would. <laughs> would uh, reveal, set in Detroit, mm-hmm. which is where you were born. You, you had the classic childhood of a uh, uh, split between Detroit and Ghana that, yeah. many, that many kids have. Typical. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, my mother is from Ghana uh, and my father's from Detroit, so I would uh, just go back and forth a whole lot. And so, you know, it's it like being a fish out of water somehow in both places – Like in Detroit, I was the Ghanaian kid. So everybody'd be like, whoa, what a funny accent you've got. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you hear him? He said, mum. He said, mum. He said, waste bin. And it's like, then in Detroit or in in Ghana, they'd be like, whoa, he's got a crazy, stupid accent. He says butter (laughs) and water.
0: Like I, <laughs> it's it's the classic uh, Superman caught between Krypton and Planet Earth exactly. kind of thing. It's... and I get my power from the Red Sun. <laughs> Did I read? Are you a big comic guy? I am. Well, I am. What were your comics growing up? Uh, Marvel or DC guy? Were I you? was
2: always both. Uh, DC uh, typically because like I, I feel like DC comics can appeal to younger people because yep. it's very much it's more black and white. The archetypes. The it's archetypes. Like, yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're dealing with gods among men. I mean, and, and then with with, with uh, Marvel, I think as you get older, you're like, "Oh, these guys are me," but then they're put into a different like like they're thru- They have uh, these things put upon them. Yes. Or like even like when you get to like X Men, where the idea of like well, this their puberty is uh, exponentially, ooh, exponential. Wait, wait, wait Holy
0: Sam. shit! If, <laughs> if, if you just take the X out and you put debt yeah. that's The exponents. No, no, no. Yeah. I think I've got
2: it. No, Sam,
0: Sam. Never mind. The
2: exponents.
0: (laughs) The ponents. So what was, uh, have you gotten in on any uh, superhero auditions yet?
2: I have not. What? I'll tell you what has hurt my, I I am so excited for this Black Panther movie. I've never been more excited about a movie in my life. It looks (laughs) so good. And it's so Africa, you know? (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So I, and I was like, you feel a little left Why that? can't I be in it?
0: Aww. You know, I'm watching.
2: So I'm just going to tell everybody that I'm in it, right? And I hope that <laughs> I make the <laughs> that it catches on enough, that they're like, well, we got to put him in this.
0: What would you uh, cast yourself as in the uh, when they do the reshoots for uh, Black Panther? What's the the Blacker Pantherer,
2: probably <laughs> right?
0: Because every Black Panther has, there's always going to be a Blacker panther Just there's
2: always going to be somebody more Blacker and more Pantherer. I think that's a lesson <laughs> that kids need to learn. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that does legit look amazing. It's Ryan Kugler. Ryan Coogler, like, and, and and seeing
0: uh, uh, Chadwick or what?
2: Oh, well, Chadwick. And, and first of all, Chadwick, what a great! I, I always am like a stickler a little bit about African accents yeah, in yeah, yeah. in movies, and he's from, I think, South Carolina, right? But that. Chala accent that he has, I'm selling like, it. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> like I, I like watching uh, Civil War. I'm like, huh? We're in Africa. Is he? Oh, that's right. He's not from Africa, but the accent is so good because so many times I, I feel like like uh, people put it's because it's not an accent that you really practice a lot. It's like a little
0: over the top when they do it, or what? Well,
2: it's always American. It's always an American accent with an affectation put on the uh, like the cadence, right? So, but then like. It, 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 they, they miss like the vowels I feel right like if it's an african accent you know it, 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 it they have to to exist in a place where like all the accents are the, the accents it depends on where you're from but it's it, if it, right you know the <laughs> there's,
0: a, there's a joyousness when you do that That's, that's beautiful it's like
2: a ghanaian accent like it's so, it, like it, it bounces and it's very like light and right. and, and happy <laughs> but like I feel I feel so, like like It. it, it, I'm. I'm. I'm talking accent theory.
0: (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. Okay. Well, tell me this. So, did you? Do you ever have had from your travels growing up? Did you ever have an accent like? I had like a
2: slight accent as a kid, like a very slight one. Uh, So I would say things like "loo" and like "strawberry" and stuff like that. Uh, (laughs) 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 Aluminum. Aluminum. Aluminum
0: (laughs) wastepin. Lou. (laughs) <laughs> and what was, so, what was your uh, pop culture intake? We know the comic books. Like, what were you into as a kid? Police Academy movies. <laughs> and
2: like, because of Police Academy movies, I was like, I think I'm gonna be a police officer. <laughs> oh, God,
0: <laughs> I think that was, like, a really bad police officer. Just, just doing wacky, voices, <laughs>
2: doing voices, using superhuman feats of strength, and like, <laughs> just. Being funny.
0: <laughs> well, we've got Steve Gutenberg here to surprise you. Good- oh my god, the Goot! <laughs> the Goot, get in here. The goot is jacked. The goot have is you it? Seen it? yeah, in recent years he's him. turned him to like he's like uh, does the bow flex or something. I don't uh, know what he yeah, does. Yeah,
2: it was foretold.
0: <laughs> the Sears predicted it. The Sears predicted <laughs> One it. day Gutenberg will reemerge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Glutenberg because it's got strong butt oh, muscles.
0: You see, got it. Guys,
2: exponents. all off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that segues nicely into the Second City training. So when did Second City enter the picture?
2: Uh, I actually, I went to see my first Second City show in Detroit when I was 14, uh, and I, I was, I was in, uh, I, I was, I was in high school, and a friend of mine who was a senior in high school. Went to but was in classes, so I went to see his class shows. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is the Second City? This is actually Second City Affiliated? And so I would just like go all the time. Yeah. And when I was 16, I was able to take classes. So I started taking classes from then on, and then kind of just stuck with it.
0: You're listening to Happy, Sad, Confused. We'll be right back after this. So is there is there a big comedy and second like is the Second City scene in Detroit like is it a real it, formidable one? It, like,
2: it is. It's now since closed. Oh no! Uh, I, I I went to do a cruise ship uh, from Second City. What? Second City was on cruise ships and on Norwegian cruise lines.
0: That's what they all you aspire to get to. You want to get. The, you know, that's the High Watermark.
2: That's the Brass Ring. <laughs> <laughs> But truly, it was like kind of like one of the, uh, a great experience because I would work on this cruise ship. Uh, and I would work five hours a day or f- sorry, five hours a day would be great, wouldn't it? But it was like really five hours a week. Oh, my God. And the rest <laughs> of the time was just me living on this cruise ship. Yeah. That's uh, a good gig. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great gig. But And like you, I, I got so many reps because you do these shows in front of these huge audiences of like 1,500, 1,600 people. Uh, but then like. All the other time was just like <laughs> you on this cruise ship or on these islands, and you just kind of forget what real life was. Right. So I felt like then your like comedy or like the, your 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 point of reference and all that kind of starts to atrophy because you're like I don't know. <laughs> what's a what's a great comedic take? Isn't it weird I have to wait on the beach for your beer? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, folks? <laughs> Isn't it like I'm like oh too many beaches? You know what I'm talking about in Detroit?
0: <laughs> yeah. When they run out of red wine at the open bar,
2: yeah. that's crazy, isn't that nuts? <laughs> <laughs> My man knows what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> so, when at what stage of the career did you do your cruise ship stints? Uh, that
2: was I was 21, 22. Okay, and so
0: like, good. A nice gig for a 21, 22 year old. Perfect. Great
2: gig for a 21, 22 year old. Uh, and like, you know, I, I I had I had done second city Detroit, and so like, it was, I. I I did the cruise ships, and then from there, they hired me to go to Chicago and join the touring company. Which was a huge deal, obviously. Which was a huge deal, yeah. you know. And then from there, I did the main stage, and then uh, from there, I moved to, to L.A. And the rest
0: is history. The rest is history. So, w- w- did it feel like, I mean, obviously a lot of people really started to come to know your work from Veep, yes. um, and which began, you know, just as a guest spot, mm-hmm. literally just one-, one yeah, like, It was
2: supposed to be a one one episode, uh, and then like it went- well, so they brought me in for the second episode of the season. Uh and then they were like, uh, stick around. So like I was like just like there and they kept saying, like, we're gonna bring you back for something. And so I was just like kinda in right a Baltimore. It was filmed in Baltimore. So I'd like come to Baltimore, leave Baltimore, and they'd be like, eh, maybe you're gonna use you for this. And then they brought me in for episode ten of season three. And it was kinda like like even for me, I was like looking at the script, I was like, Oh, this might mean something because I just came. I just come in at the, the end of the episode, like, hey, I'm here and we're checking these phones. <laughs> I was like, hmm. <laughs> I did because they didn't like make an offer or anything, but like, I was like, well, it was very nice of them to bring me uh, here for this. Uh, but they kind of like, I think, I think that was them kind of being like, we're gonna make you're gonna add yeah. you to the the roster of people.
0: So when you, when you showed up on set for that first like one off. Because mm-hmm. you, you had done things like that before, I, wh- and, and I'm sure, like, any actor, you come on set and you have a dream of, like, they're going to fall in love with me, <laughs> and they're not going to be able to say no, and this is it.
2: Well, it was really about, like, Sam, don't, don't, don't fuck this up. <laughs> I was like <laughs> – because I, I remember I was I – was, so, so you do the – the table read right. out there, so we did table read, and then we re-improvise the, the the script. And like, first off, like I remember I was flying to Baltimore, like reading the script uh, on the plane, like looking like a real obnoxious douche, like oh, I'm just reading my script, guys next to me. It's not a big deal. I'm <laughs> a working actor.
0: <laughs> just, you have the Veep cover page, like Veep really Veep. out there, like just Ugh. showing to everybody.
2: Veep, episode three oh one, page one. Cast list includes. Um, just doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> an actor prepares. Actor prepares. That's what I am. I'm an actor, and I'm preparing. So.
0: <laughs> and not to mention that table read you're at with Julia, with Julia and, like Walsh Walsh and like Walsh. It's crazy,
2: and, like uh,
0: Tony Hale, Avery, Tony yeah.
2: Hale. You know, uh, Gary Coleman. So I'm just like, oh my goodness. And and like you know, you're used to everybody kind of being like on autopilot, or like just kind of like. Thinking about like their stuff, so like not 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 like icing other people, but like like you know just kind of like making sure their stuff works. Sure. But then they would all laugh and like just enjoy the read, and I was like, oh, this is fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we did the re- we re-improvised uh, kind of my scenes afterwards with Julia and and uh, and Kevin Dunn. And like we just had fun, like re-improvising these scenes, and like the the writers were like they were there taking notes and like having a good time too. So it's like, oh, this uh, this kind of feels good. And like that second city kind of prepares you for re-improvising, sure. and, like kind of taking but taking like uh, a germ an idea and then just kind of and germ idea yeah. and like kind of like going like fleshing it out yeah. or, or filling it out or like kind of finding a new uh, like a, a second thought on a first thought. Uh, and so so like I felt like it was like a perfect. Place and like use of like those skills that I'd been working on, uh, so I was like, "Oh, th- here we go! This is uh, <laughs> this was the best 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 possible possible uh, scenario for me." So I was so I I did that rehearsal, and then like it was time to. I was in uh, Baltimore, just like kind of waiting for my day to film, and so I was there for like maybe three days, just kind of twiddling my thumbs. The day before I was supposed to go to set, uh, I, I went to like this restaurant. And I was just like kinda of sitting at the bar, kind of just like I'm going to do my uh my acting thing. There we go. <laughs> Better not screw this up. And then I see Craig Robinson was in the uh was in that restaurant. And I did Craig I did uh the office with Craig sure. before and like, see, he's maybe the only like celebrity that I knew like who wouldn't maybe know my name. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I see him, he's like, Sam, what are you doing? I was like, I'm here. So then we hang out with Craig Robinson, then we go to uh do the show in uh uh, at uh, uh, the university, uh-huh. uh, John Hopkins. Sure. Uh, and so I'm just, like, there with him. I, I, he brings me on stage. I do like a little bit with him, and he's hanging out. And I'm like, wow, what a fun o- Oh no, I got Veep tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so I'm like, ooh, you gotta drop me off at home. And you're like, what are you talking about? And so like you'd <laughs> being a nerd. I'm like, yes, I'm being a nerd, but I have to do my due diligence.
0: Yeah, you don't want to end up in the wee hours with Craig Robinson. That can lead to all it, sorts of
2: it's a da- dangerous uh <laughs> scenario. So like <laughs> had I not remembered, who knows what like the world my my uh world and beat would have been, but I went to set had a good time. It was like just really fun, uh, and then they just kind of kept on bringing me back.
0: When did you start to notice that uh, folks outside of the cast and the writers, or whatever that, that that people were responding to this character? Because um, he's he's such a great contrast to the other characters. It, it's like it's it's it 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 works because of his, I don't even know how would you describe it? earnestness or his
2: earnestness like, and it's like guilelessness yeah. and like just his optimism. Yeah. You know, I think it's such a contrast to the other characters who are just uh, vipers, vipers. you know, <laughs> uh, the worst, like,
0: worst people on earth, the
2: worst people, <laughs> the ones that you couldn't trust to turn your back to. Yeah. You know, uh, I think th- I think it's that positivity or, yeah. or that sort of uh, the opposite of that, which which makes him kind of stand out in. Uh, it's like pe- pe- people respond. I'm like, I want to know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's, that's very sweet. Uh, sometimes I, I think people think that I am that character.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. So, like, what is the like recognition? What what kind of interactions do you? What's the, is there a typical interaction when you when people recognize you now?
2: Uh, I, I I realize I can't ever like make a mistake or like a ver- like a verbal slip or like say something dumb. They're like, Oh, you're just like your character, Look. and I'm like, Well, <laughs> no, you've insulted me greatly, just then, but. <laughs> Uh, but it's fine. Like they're, they're, I think there are worse people to yeah to have people assume that you are, like Skeletor, maybe you know, <laughs> just off the top of my head. Right?
0: Yeah. Sure. You. you I realize finish.
2: that's a very Richard thing to say. <laughs> it could be worse. It could be Skeletor. So, it's
0: like, <laughs> look, we've been waiting for that He Man reboot any day. We can get you in Black Pantherer and the He Man, you know? the Masters of the Universe. We'll
2: see. I'll I'll do a Merman or a Beast Man. <laughs> it's meant to be. Manny faces. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, the last episode of season, what are we, season six right now? Season six. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's rare, as you well know, for, so you came on, I think, what, season three? Season three. Uh-huh. And... To get that kind of opportunity in season three and and to see a character build and see a show, you know, maintain such a high level uh, degree of excellence through six seasons is remarkable, especially with the change in leadership at one point. Mm-hmm. So a testament to all you guys. Oh, um, you. W- what can we look forward to in season six? And are there any – do you know anything about season seven at this point?
2: Uh, I don't know anything about season seven. Uh, but for the finale of, of season six uh, – Yeah, I'll tell you this. It takes place in uh, the world. What? I'm always so worried about, like, spoilers, you know? Um, There's a little baby coming. There's a baby? There's a baby coming. I don't know if you – like, in in this season, Richard donates – Right, <laughs> sperm uh, to Catherine. It's a little and inexperienced. He's, in... never, he's never masturbated before. Yeah, that was
0: kind of a revelation. You know, I mean, I guess if they, if you're putting your money on any character on television to not have masturbated, maybe it's him. It'd been him.
2: You know, <laughs> and he, he calls Somebody... it self <laughs> Yes, or uh, shaking the devil or the uh, devil's handshake, Sh- shaking the devil's hand. That's what he calls it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> um, okay, so that's Veep, and you said you're you're Need even writing season two of Detroiters right yes. now? Yes,
2: yeah, we're at the very tail end of writing. season uh, season two of Detroiters, uh, and we'll start shooting that in the uh, second week of July in e- Detroit.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And uh, anything else on – On I mean, the, those between those two shows, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches to get two relatively, you know, beloved shows yeah. going, what else do you need in your life, man? Why are you so ambitious? Just stop.
2: <laughs> I r- need validation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> give me more. Give me give more. Give me more. <laughs> Um, Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of your work, and I'm glad we got to know each other a little bit today. Looking forward to uh, the last episode of season six uh, and season seven of Veep, and of course, congratulations on Detroiters, man. That's a hell of an achievement. Thank you so much. Uh, Everybody should check it out. It's on uh, Comedy Central's digital platforms and on demand. Catch up with the 10 episodes of season one and get ready for season two, uh, I presume, next year? Yes, next year. Excellent. Uh, Thanks, man, nice to meet you. Thank you,
2: so nice to meet you. Black or a panther,
0: check it out. Wait, no, that's not a thing, Sam.
2: It will be. Okay. The people will speak. By people, do you just mean... means me a
0: lot. (laughs) Okay, it begins here.
2: It begins here, grassroots.
0: That was Sam Richardson, once again, the star of Veep and Detroiters. A whole lot going on for him. We're very happy for him. A good guy. Uh, another good guy behind the camera, Colin Trevorrow. I mentioned in the intro, Sammy, uh, mm-hmm. this guy's got a lot going he's,
1: on. He's the big guy. Got a big <laughs> <laughs>
0: no but it it's cool i always love it like when like these contemporaries who kind of are clearly as much film nerds and film geeks as they are clearly exceptional talents uh, make it and he's one that certainly has has made it um safety not guaranteed was this great kind of small Quirky um, sci-fi comedy dramedy that hit Sundance a few years back, um, and had Jake Johnson in in the cast as well as Mark Duplass and uh, and Aubrey Plaza, and then out of that got the gig of a lifetime. He got you know Spielberg himself kind of handpicked him to direct the Jurassic. Park sequel, Ooh, Jurassic World,
1: Jurassic World.
0: Um, which was a fan favorite. I know it had you know divisiveness among critics, but it did certainly please audiences and made a gajillion dollars. I think technically made a gajillion dollars. Yeah,
1: so made- <laughs> I think it's like you can't even count it. It's at a level yeah. where like this. The calculator stuff. Yeah,
0: they just break. They just smoke. Comes out of the calculator. If you have a calculator, <laughs> yeah, probably now. If you have a calculator, it's probably dying or smoking. <laughs> you <laughs> need
1: to change the batteries. You probably yeah.
0: reevaluate your life choices. Um, but uh, I love talking to to Colin because um, he he's steeped in all the stuff that that we all love here on Happy Second Confused. He grew up Chris lo- Pratt yes he was in <laughs> Chris Pratt he grew up loving Chris Pratt the things we all yes. love Chris no what I mean what I mean is he grew up loving Star Wars and like you know that's what I asked him was like and you'll hear in the conversation is like what was the first thing you were you know obsessed with and it, it was Star Wars so the fact that we he is look. he is now directing episode 9 um, and will be directing that relatively soon they're working on the script right now is uh, pretty remarkable and uh, we do talk uh, a bit about sort of like a, a, a big moment he had when they announced the the um the sequels and he was like a director nobody had heard of he like Decided in his own head that yes, I'm going to direct one of these movies. Not even with hubris, but just like he felt like a destiny to do it. And sure enough, it happened. Well, so he
1: secreted it. He did. <laughs> he really he's did. The Oprah yes. of,
0: of filmmakers. Wow. Um, so the film that we should mention though that he's promoting that comes out this Friday is the Book of Henry, and uh, it's a it's a cool weird little movie. I mean, it's it's a movie that kind of is is hard to describe without revealing a lot of plot details, um, and it makes it a challenge to promote. Um, but it stars name uh, Naomi. Naomi Watts and Jacob Tremblay. Ugh. I mean, come on.
1: What else do you need? You got, nothing. The, you got the Tremblay. <laughs> you need nothing else <laughs> in this world. And it's um, it's a film
0: about a lot of things. It's kind of has, has elements of, of drama. It's a bit of a thriller. Uh, it has a lot of big kind of twists and turns to it. They've, in the marketing of it, they've been careful not to reveal too much, so I'm not going to certainly reveal it here. But suffice it to say, um, if you're a fan of... Of, of a filmmaker that, I mean, I think it's a testament to what Colin, the kind of career Colin is starting to carve out, that he went from Jurassic World and he already had like Star Wars about to happen, but decided I have to make this little film in between. This is like kind of a pet That's project. Cool. So he jammed it into his busy schedule and it comes out this Friday and check it out if you want to see what he's up to and see some really cool performances from uh, Naomi Watts and some uh, very talented young performers. Um, so, yes. uh Enjoy this conversation about Book of Henry, and, and stay for the Jurassic World two talk. We talk about, a bit, bit about that. A lot of uh, actually a fair amount of details about what's in store for us in the next Jurassic World, and uh, and yes, some Star Wars talk as well. Uh, so without any, it's further a big ado, one. Yeah, let's get to it. It's a, yeah, big, he's, he's a it. big deal. Uh, here's Colin Trevorrow. Enjoy. There's no official introduction, Colin. I'm sorry. Do you want an official introduction? Should I, I should I like sound a, a bullhorn or like a like a had a gong? Does it did it start already? It just happened. Do did you feel we, you don't feel you don't feel that? It's on now. It's happening. It's my first podcast. Is it really? Yeah. What? Where have you been? Uh, it's good to see you, Colin. Thanks for coming. Good to see the you today. Um, congratulations on the film. The film's "Book of Henry," uh, a great piece of work. Uh, amazing performances all around. We're going to get to Naomi and and uh, your great young performers in a bit, but um, uh, it's good to have you because I, you're somebody that I've talked to at least a couple times. Certainly in the in the crazy Jurassic uh, press tour. Um, I imagine this feels like a little bit of a different journey, uh, considering well just there're less bells and whistles there yeah. there's uh it's 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 almost more about you kind of selling this movie in a way than than relying on dinosaurs and Chris Pratt you, yeah you in in every corner
3: you have nothing to fall back on you're just naked <laughs> uh, when you make a movie like this uh and I, it's interesting because we have you know these three children who are extraordinary right. in the film, but you know you're only going to rely on them so much uh, sure. to go out and sell the film. And you know Jacob Tremblay, however uh, adult and mature he may be on screen, when he's off screen, he just a, wants some Legos. He's a kid, yeah. <laughs> like just give him some Legos, and <laughs> and uh, and that's why he's so great. Uh, Jaden uh, Lieber, who's who's excellent, is is a. A little bit uh, more adept at, at speaking to these things, but it, look, it's hard for all of us. Sure, uh, you know, interviews are, are challenging. So, uh, and another thing, we were just talking before this began, is that it's it's a difficult movie to market, uh, and it's hard for me to sell it
0: because part of it is the is is what we don't tell you. It's it's a very and and look, I'd, I'd seen the trailer before, I'd read up on it. I'd obviously keeping up with your career, I was curious about it. But even seeing the film, um, it's one of those films that kind of like kind of takes a left or right, like a hard right or hard left turn every 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, I, and I mean that as a compliment because you know obviously you know I see a lot of movies yeah. and it's nice to kind of actually be legitimately surprised and, and watch something that's a little bit unpredictable. Yeah.
3: Well, that was really the thing that attracted me to it in the first place as someone who also sees a lot of movies. You know, we always know when the first act is breaking. We, we right. know we're savvy and we we are not surprised uh, just as a general audience, it seems these days. And so the only way that you're able to uh, show anyone anything that uh, is going to be unexpected is to, in the case of safety not guaranteed, not narratively supported. Right. Uh, because we know when you're laying down the stepping stones sure. uh, or in a case like this, uh, just Uh, not tell anyone and make it kind of a pop-up movie, uh, which is what it is. We're not really even marketing it until, you know, two weeks before. So, uh, you know, it's it's something that I'm so proud of and yet the, the elemental kind of mythic nature of it, the thing that makes me love it as much as I do uh, is the thing that I can't talk about. So people <laughs> will be surprised. So I, I don't know where to
0: land. Well, I remember, uh, you know, and this uh, isn't necessarily revealing plot kind of issues that you're talking about. But like when I spoke to you on the Jurassic tour and you were planning on doing this, I believe at the mm-hmm. time, this was always the plan. You know, you were talking about it in terms of like I need to, you know, I kind of made a weird jump here that doesn't usually happen, and I need to kind of go back and kind of like define myself as a filmmaker um, yeah. through what the normal kind of second film would be. Maybe do you feel now, in retrospect, talking to you on the other side of it, how does this define you as a filmmaker? What is you know what's the the Trevaro brand? If there's well, there, there's kind of two layers to that. I do have a, I have this sort of.
3: Japanese businessman sense of honor uh, <laughs> that, that I, I feel like. Look, I was, I was. Given this opportunity that was, you know, beyond both my experience level and even my years. Uh, And I've said before, I probably said to you that I didn't necessarily even agree with the circumstances of my own hiring. I I don't know if it's the best thing to be taking independent filmmakers and thrusting them into these massive, you know, corporate uh, behemoths that require uh, a filmmaker to not just make a movie but be thinking about uh, what licensing is going to need and what marketing is going to need and and how it's going to feed all of those tentacles. And uh, it's, it's a very different kind of job and you know as as somebody who you know I, I don't want to use the word integrity but I, I want to do good sh- am I allowed to swear on the show Absolutely. I want to do good shit yeah. and so <laughs> you know to be able to to go and, and take something that is genuinely uh, different and yeah. truly original almost aggressively original uh, and lay it down uh, after something that you know it did alright you
0: know, that Jurassic did alright fourth highest grossest movie of all time it did alright
3: I yeah. like my really arrogant thing like when I've had a couple drinks as I say it's the biggest summer movie of all time but it's only look I'm <laughs>
0: How many <laughs> drinks is that?
3: <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's a good thing to have when in you your get pocket. It. <laughs> and that's always like, yeah, but there were the other movies came out at Christmas. All right, Derek, <laughs> I, I don't want to hear it. What about Adjusted for
0: Inflation, man? <laughs> I, I want to shut hear up. It. Come on. <laughs>
3: right. But, you know, I—, I I just I feel like and it's not that I want to be setting an example for other filmmakers, but there are uh, others in my generation who have been given similar opportunities. And I had actually all of them in a room. We all watched this movie. I had a screening, uh, you know. And Ryan Coogler was there, and Ava DuVernay was there, and Jordan vogt Roberts, a lot of a lot of these contemporaries, yeah, yeah, a lot of these contemporaries who have all been given you know extraordinary uh, opportunities. And in my little preamble, I, I, I just you know the only message I had to them is like let's not forget. Why we're doing this? Right. Why we came here? And, and even if that means taking a risk and laying yourself on the line and uh, you know wearing your heart on your sleeve a little bit. Let's do it because people expect
0: that of us. I mean, yeah. we're the generation. Let's let's make original movies. You, you were and you kind of alluded to this. I mean, a lot has been made about people like you and and Jordan in particular uh, in terms of kind of like this this giant leap. And you've been lumped in in kind of like an unfortunate way, where like you know, there's this great story right now in movie making that we're all enjoying this moment as we tape this about Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. We're all thrilled about it. Did you see it? Oh yeah great movie great movie had
3: an amazing effect on my daughter like that oh, was nice. just elemental like it was deeper my wife and i and my son liked the movie, loved sure. the awesome movie and then we look over at Lou and she's like in this running position <laughs> and has her brow furrowed and is like she wants to watch this movie every day. She is Wonder Woman That's now. Amazing. She's five uh, and it really – it was it was striking I, and even as a father uh, to realize – you know, you watch things a little bit differently as a father and sure. you start yeah. to see media and you see the way that uh, – female heroes are presented to young girls. And that movie uh, was something she had
0: never seen before. I don't think it's something that most of us had never seen before. And it was kind of surprising to me. I don't know how it hit you. Like, um, you know, and I'm frankly, I'm not I'm not a dad. um, But like it did um, hit me on an emotional level, like especially that kind of first act of seeing sort of like um, uh, these Amazon warriors just and not being objectified in any way, just kicking ass and 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 something in the way she presented it felt very empowering and beautiful and, and uh, exciting and, and new um
3: i it you realize while you're watching it was that big sweeping wide shot of everybody uh fighting yeah you know, when they were all practicing and you realize i've never seen this image on film before what i'm looking at yeah and you didn't necessarily think about that on the way in and then you walk out and you're like and it's it's uh it's Pretty incredible.
0: So, so how do you, I mean? What, what my first point about it was, and I'm sure you, you know well what, what I'm driving at is like this kind of narrative about Patty, which is crazy that like it took her whatever 15 or 16 years to like get the second feature off the ground. I mean, she's obviously had a great television career going for yeah. many years, um, but you know, you did make this insane leap, and others uh, others of your gender have made this crazy leap. Did you feel? Entitled? Did you feel um, uh, this wasn't worthy of you? Do you feel like if your name had been, you know, Betsy Trevorrow, you wouldn't have had the same uh, opportunity? I mean, what's your take on the, on this kind of story? I would hope for a little better than a bet. Can I get? Like yeah, I'm a, like old school. This is like like a, a- Alana or like something a little more. <laughs> I'm in like 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> Betsy. <laughs>
3: Uh, you know, look. I mean, I the real answer is there. There's no way to know, right. but uh, I think that you know what we have seen very clearly is a want and a need uh, from the studios at the highest of levels to change this uh, this you know, pretty embarrassing institutional. Problem, yeah, and uh, it's it's coming from two places. One, it's it is coming a little bit from a source of embarrassment, but it's coming from the place where all decisions in Hollywood come from, which is. Uh, money demand yeah, yeah, demand and money and yeah. that the audience yeah. wants movies uh, that are diverse and original and different and they want to hear voices that are not the same voices that they've been hearing for the past hundred years yeah. and they're speaking at the box office by what they go to see and that's the best possible way for change to happen because it's completely it's integrated into this this system that is founded on money already right. and it's going to be real and it is real and you know, for me, the, the all I can really speak to is is what I've, you know, how I fit into all that now is is the ability I have as an established filmmaker to be able to uh, have climbed to the top of the wall and then then reach back down and and lift some other people up. Yeah. And I think the the goal for anyone in, in a position like mine should be try to lift up some people who don't necessarily look like you. Uh. And and uh. And that's something that I've I've been able to do. And in, in the past year, I've I I met an extraordinary uh, young woman named Emily Carmichael who uh, came to the set of Book Henry and and shadowed me on set, and we we started working together in in that way. And uh, now she's writing a a movie that she's going to direct for Amblin that's based on a story of mine. She's booked another movie to direct at Fox. She's writing multiple major tentpole films, some that I'm not allowed to mention. One of them was Pacific Rim 2. And this has happened in one year. Amazing. Most of that had nothing to do with me, but the fact that like what Kathy Kennedy did for me, what Brad Bird did for me, that I was able to walk into a room and say, you know what? Listen to what this person has to say. Just I'm going to vouch for this person, then I'm going to leave the room, and she can take it from there. And I I think that if – if we would all just uh, try to do that for one person,
0: it might make a difference. Totally. So so let's go back if we could. Um, grew up in – correct me if I'm wrong – Oakland? That's, I did. OK. So um, were you were, – we're basically around the same age. So I'm guessing some of the, the pop culture touchstones were similar. Uh, but give me a sense of sort of like where your head was at in terms of pop culture growing up. What were you obsessed with? What was your – Pop culture growing up was, was all Star Wars and then a little Tintin.
3: That oh, was my intensive. only other wow. element. very yeah. worldly. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved that. It, I loved the that sense of swashbuckling adventure, mm. you know, pirates and gold, and sure. and uh, it's it's I guess it's a little bit old fashioned, but um, I was you know I I like I love the Marvel movies that they're making, but I was never a comic book kid. Right. I wasn't a GI Joe kid, uh, He Man, uh, any of any of the other things. It was it was Star Wars all the time, uh, and then that's what I read, and then I read a lot. I you know, Wrinkle in Time, and just like uh, I was I was pretty. Pretty deep into to just all these actually a lot of mo- books that they're making movies out of now, which <laughs> I think are going to be great.
0: What was the, what was the first Star Wars experience in the theater? Uh, I went and saw Empire Strikes
3: Back when I was very very young because uh, I was born in '76, so that would have been sorry. the first yeah. one. And I remember the movie. I, I also remember. Uh, but the, Like the indelible memory was actually my mother going back and getting furious at the projectionist because he showed a trailer for American Werewolf in London, which was inappropriate for yes, a five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, my mother would, uh, would be the one to <laughs> – <laughs> to do that uh, and I love her very much but uh, and you know and Jedi was was different because that was 1983 I was six and uh, my my father we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and and so you know for something to cost $50 would be a huge deal and there were tickets to uh, the, at the Piedmont Theater which is in, in Oakland uh, a night before a Thursday night where there was a costume contest and tickets were 50 bucks each so we, we spent the 50 bucks and we went there it was $100 for both of us big deal in 1983 and I dressed up as a Jawa and and I had the language down, and the voice, and everything, and I won the costume contest. The prize was hundred dollars. It's, it's like my my Capra-esque childhood <laughs> story. <laughs> that sounds almost made up. But but I'm gonna I, trust I, you. I, you
0: gotta trust me, but it happened. Are <laughs> there photos of you as a J- uh, Jawa that exist? Uh, they're probably. You, you know, I need to dig, dig these up, up before episode nine comes up. out. This is yeah. good marketing material. I think we
3: all have photos of ourselves yeah. as Jawas. That's That's not that <laughs> big a find.
0: Well, it is when you dir- you're directing one of the movies, I would think. Um, was uh, uh, your action figure collection pretty good? I mean, you would say you it would was, d- yeah,
3: yeah. It was it was beat up. I I I didn't keep them in the box. I was out, right. you know, in the dirt, and I would take them to if we, you know if we went up to the mountains. I would take them in the snow, and so my mom actually uh, sent them to me when we were in Vermont. She sent them so I could give them to my kids, uh, and they were just in, they were in a state. I mean, they were in horrible <laughs> horrible shape, just fingers missing, and uh, but that's you
0: know, and I showed them
3: to my kid, and was like, you know what, this is what your action figures should look like. Exactly,
0: use this them. Don't collect, play with you're them. You're not reselling them on eBay. No. Um, and what was. Do you have a favorite character? What was your uh, what was your obsession in the Star Wars universe? In Star Wars, yeah. You know what's interesting is is well, I'm not going to declare that this is interesting before I say it. It might be interesting. <laughs> I was a rebel.
3: I was <laughs> <Han> Solo.
0: <laughs> well,
3: no, I was I was always really dialed into the Force. Yeah. You know the Force itself because I was you know, as far as a you know, there are Star Wars fans that are that are fans and then there's a group of Star Wars fans that uh, you know that have a belief system. And, and they believe that the force you know, connects us all, it binds the galaxy together and it, it, it teaches us how to be, it teaches us how to treat each other and, uh, and how to respect each other and, and how to control your anger and things that you, you should be thinking about uh, as a right. kid. So I, I was one of those kind of fans and I kind of still
0: am. In lieu of or in addition to your religious beliefs, this filled in a little bit of a belief system for you? I don't know if I want to get too deep into okay. that, but, but it definitely <laughs> provided a
3: foundation for me of, of what I believe in. And, and honestly, like, I think you could ask anyone of uh, of any religious faith uh, what they believe in, and they'll say their faith and the force, because <laughs> I, I think that it'd be hard to you know it's it's one of the most amazing things about Star Wars. You could you could put a bunch of people in a room who believe a lot of different things, yeah. and the one thing they could all agree on is like, well, you know, yeah, there's there there may be a, there may be an, a, an energy field that binds us all together.
0: <laughs> so um, you know, fill in the gaps for me a little bit because there's a big obviously gap from being you know. Uh, six years old and seeing Return of the Jedi and then you kind of emerging at, what, like 35 or 34 with like right. safety not not guaranteed. And I know you'd you'd sold at least one or two specs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd made a couple films. You'd made a, a film that uh, was kind of an early, quote unquote, viral video yeah. that did Weird pretty shit. well. Weird shit. Um, so were you making a living before safety got not guaranteed? I was. I uh, was
3: making a living as a screenwriter for a while. And when did, uh, when
0: did that happen? What was the big sale? That was early. I moment? mean,
3: like just to, to back it all the way up, just, uh, you know, I started – uh, I was I was really into theater when I was young, and I was, I, I, you know, these are the places where I would say something like this because you know, no one, I mean, people are going to hear it, right? I think so. So let's just I do so. it. Let's just get <laughs> let's it out. Get there. in there. Let's get it out there. Uh, I was in the opera when I was a kid. What? I was a boy singer. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> I was in the San Francisco Opera, and I would I would dress up. Uh, as it, as would, a jawa?
0: A jawa? No, opera but
3: <laughs> might as well, I was, you know, kind of have to have a vocal <laughs> register uh, that high. But I know I was a second soprano, which is a little bit more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just made an arm <laughs> flexing muscle for those who can't see. Uh, no, I was I was in the San Francisco Opera chorus as a child, and and it actually it, it surrounded me with professional working. Uh, Adult performers, yeah. which really did give me an insight into to what that life is like and what actors need, and and also uh, made me unafraid of of big emotion and you know playing to the rafters. You know, opera sure. is, is is as dramatic as it gets, uh, and I, I, I was in that you know I, I did a lot of theater and Shakespeare and 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 was acting up until I you know I went to NYU, uh, and then after that I, I I you know I had always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I thought that I would I would start in in acting and in theater, and that at NYU I was focused solely on writing. Writing. Right. I didn't really make a lot of student films uh, because I knew that was also an impossible thing to do well, and I respect that so much that I wanted to to hone those skills as much as possible, and then uh, really just focused on writing as a way to start a career as well. And uh, I sold a script called Tester to DreamWorks. A, you know, I didn't entirely come out of the blue for Steven Spielberg. He had bought a script of mine when I was thirty. Got it. Uh, and Jurassic happened when I was thirty-seven or thirty-eight. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd been a bit on the, on the radar. radar yeah, yeah, yeah uh, a guy named Walter Parks who used to mm-hmm. uh, and Lauren Dream McDonald yeah, yeah. Uh, bought that script. Uh, and then I was, you know, I was just in the uh, in the screenwriting trenches for a while and and learning that system and learning how uh, the development process goes and kind of becoming a a bit of a scientist on like how development processes can go wrong.
0: Yep, uh, because it, it really it comes in handy later down the line. Were there were there near misses in terms of those early scripts that early script you sold in terms of it coming close to fruition? I mean, did you feel like oh this once it sold like oh this is going to happen? I'm, I'm I'm making a movie. We or? all feel that. Yeah, uh, of course they're going to make my movie. <laughs> uh,
3: I actually ended up working that script for five years Ay. with Walter Parr, who's who's a brilliant. Both he he and Laurie McDonald are are brilliant storytellers, and they taught me how to. To write. I mean, they taught me how to, to work the material and challenge myself and, and, uh, And then I, you know, I every pretty much every I never got any rewrite jobs. I would do original things, and I would pitch original stories, and people and you know studios would buy them, uh, and I would write them out. And so I was really subsisting on on original stuff, which is part of what you know made me so eager to keep doing that, you know, as a filmmaker. Um, But no, none of those. It's not a shock to think that none of those original, pretty large scale movies, they would have been hundred billion dollar movies, Ever got made because they don't do that.
0: That doesn't happen Uh, anymore.
3: Sorry guys. Um, and then you know, and then safety. I, I actually I moved to Vermont, um, which was a, you know, I never really know how quite to explain it, but uh, it's, my, it's in the Hollywood
0: screenwriting directing handbook. You you, you sell a script to Spielberg, right. and then you move to Vermont.
3: And I wasn't in any
0: kind of financial position <laughs> to do that.
3: Like I was at a point where actually I was I was at kind of a low point where I didn't feel. I, I, you know, you go through these ups and downs, and uh, there's there's moments of just crushing, soul numbing rejection yeah. that everybody, uh, you know, there's no Cinderella stories, there's no overnight success, and I'd had enough of that. That at a certain point, you know, my wife and I had we wanted to have kids, and I was, just, you know, she's from a very small village in in the south of France, a very kind of provincial uh, life that has nothing to do with Los Angeles at mm-hmm. all, uh, and I decided. I bet she loved Tintin though. She did love Tintin. That's <laughs> it is, it's a touchstone for both of us. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I just looked around and, and decided, okay, well, I'm, I want to. I want to sort of produce a life uh, that's going to work for this family that sure. we're going to create. So I, I got a stack of magazines that said all the best places to live in America, and Burlington, Vermont came up number one, and, and it was like an aggregate in a lot of these magazines. This is I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And so we moved. Methodical we, man, Mr. I know. Chivaro. Well, you, when you're going to produce a life, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to produce anything. So we're the like algorithm all right.
0: is in, guys. We're moving to Burlington. We're moving to Burlington, it has you
3: know <laughs> healthcare and education and all the things were just off the charts. So we go and we we see we saw this house on the internet that, that uh, we're like why would no one buy look at this This you could get you know a, a studio apartment you know beneath the flight pattern of the airport <laughs> uh, in LA for this so we just bought this house it was like World According to Garp. right <laughs> it was just like we're gonna live here the plane just crashes in uh, and we lived there for seven years uh, and we had both our kids uh, actually they were born in France but you know they, they we went back and forth and I directed Safety and Jurassic and Book of Henry all, all while living there mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't necessarily Really, recommend it as a career path. Sure. Uh, the only thing I would recommend is is being w- just willing to fail. Right. Because I didn't want I I wanted to be a director badly and
0: I wanted this, but not at the expense of my life. And, and so, what is what is the what is the turning point to get safety not guaranteed actually greenlit to be made? Is it Duplass Brothers? Is it some involvement in Sundance? Is it exciting on of an actor? Like, how, how does that actually do you get on set? Directing a feature with a name cast like that.
3: Well, it was you know it was only a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars movie, so it you know we didn't need that much. And I, I think because I you know Jake Johnson and I have been friends uh, since I guess two thousand, like I guess seventeen years now. He's coming in tomorrow, by the way, for the podcast. Jake will be here. Yeah. Oh, good. We were just in London together. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's he's traveling the world for the mummy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, so Jake and then Aubrey uh, who was – you know, we shared a manager and we just started putting this together. Uh, and I, you know, I never talk about it. But there are other things that I had directed, uh, you know, for f- – w- that I was able to show people uh-huh. uh, that, you know, they were able to see and say, OK, we can – Were you talking about
0: pornography? You were being very I mysterious. sounded really
3: vague. It sounded like it was <laughs> pornography. No, I'll tell you the story. It was uh, – there was a guy who – it was like a spec thing where he wanted to make a uh, – he wanted to make a, a show about a, a uh, young, mar- it's like a martial arts thing about wow. a kid who comes from Cambodia and is like, you know, fighting the mafia in, in Los Angeles and kind of has a bit of a superhero bent to it, but a very grounded thing. And he's like, this is what I want to do. And I'm making it into a web series. And I have X amount of dollars to, uh, to create like a five minute you know, real of what this would be. So sure. I got my, you know, my cinematographer from from home base from the very first thing I mm-hmm. did, and I got this group together. We made something that it looked like a movie. You know, they didn't give us a lot, but th- th- those five minutes looked like five minutes of a movie. So I was able to take that and give that to the guys at safety Not Guaranteed and say, look, like I, you know, I choreographed this massive martial arts fight scene right. uh, with, you know, in two feet of water with a <laughs> chain whip. Can I <laughs> can I go do this
0: uh, this other thing? This is Happy Sack Infused. Confused. We'll be right back after this. And so, so looking back on the experience that was uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which as I recall had its debut in Sundance and people immediately responded very well to it, um, was the actual production directing of it enjoyable, stressful? This is what you've been building up to for years. You're finally there. Even if you've been directing these smaller things, you have a bit of a reel. Uh, it's, this was the goal ostensibly. Yeah. Did it feel like, OK, I know what I'm doing or, oh, fuck, I hope this actually turns into a usable, decent film?
3: Um, I did feel like I knew what I was doing. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I felt like I could do that. And and I don't if I if I'd walked onto uh, a set with lights on it, that might have been different. (laughs) But keep in mind, like *Safety Night* guarantee was like a bunch of people running around in the woods with video cameras, and uh, and I, I did feel confident doing that, especially because we were we made a movie that was that was presenting itself as a mumblecore film, because that's how I got the deal to do it. I told Big Beach, because they wanted to be in business with Mark Duplass and J. Duplass, I told them, we're going to make a mumblecore movie if you give us $750,000, which is what they had spent on a movie just prior to that. And got they it. said, great. And then they started seeing the dailies, and they were like, well, this this doesn't look like a, this looks like a movie movie. And I was like, well, what do we do now? We've already been shooting for a week. And, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but, you know, it also was fast, because it was it was four weeks. It was, wow. it was done. Yeah. Uh, so, by the time I had any Minute to to think about it, uh, it was over, and you know, Jurassic felt the same way. Like you know, you're you're just. You're parachuting into the the alien war. You don't have time to ask like, why are they here? Like, you're you're fighting.
0: <laughs> how, now, how quickly did uh, it turn in terms of like, once it 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 uh, shows at Sundance? I assume it didn't have distribution then. In terms of like getting you in the room, like, because, uh, for all these interesting meetings and what obviously ultimately led to Jurassic. Did it feel like it went from zero to sixty overnight, or or what? No, you
3: know what it was, and this actually helped. Uh, what happened has helped inform you know, the way that I've helped uh, younger filmmakers that I'm working with because I, I sort of see how the, you know, how the system works a little bit. And that just getting one studio to say, yes, I would trust this person directing a movie of this size, yeah. whether or not that ever came to fruition, suddenly the other studios say, well, you know, they, that person has been trusted by someone we trust. right? Uh, and so the, the first thing that came of it, Derek and I actually split off because he got hired by Pixar uh and he went he was there for like a year uh and it was it was a challenging summer because we had you know we'd taken that flight of the navigator Mm -hmm. script and there were you know this movie intelligent life that we wrote uh and it was it was tough for both of us because he had a full-time job and yet we still had to deliver on all these other movies there was just i don't even remember it it was there was so much work that was being done uh and ultimately i mean the the answer is that i wasn't i wasn't looking for something like jurassic world i wasn't out on that Path. Yeah. I was going to do the book of Henry, and and we were, I was in the process of negotiating to actually do the movie when we got the Jurassic phone call. So it, you know, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't some kind of Machiavellian plan. But if I can I can be Machiavellian for others now on their <laughs> behalf because I know how to do it.
0: So and what was the story at the time with the the whole episode seven Brad Burt conversation of star wars can you clarify like what actually went down were you in the running was brad kind of like positioning you to help on that or what what happened
3: no i it's kind of i definitely wasn't in the running to direct episode seven it was it was just that kathy had seen safety and and responded well to it and and brad had also and uh so it was that there was this morning where i was i was just at home and my wife says you know you're there's an article on the computer saying that you're being considered to direct episode 7 and uh, look i mean there, the the emotional moment that you think people have when they hear they're going to direct something I had it then and so when episode nine finally happened, I'm like I've already banked like, my like fall to the knees like, oh my god, is it real?
0: Right. Like people well, You can even consider that I can direct a Star Wars movie. Yes. And I was
3: just like shaking <laughs> and, and you know, and I had a like, look, just because we're, we're being honest with each other, when I found out that they were going to do uh, Star Wars movies, and I remember I think it was November, October of 2012, that sounds right, yeah. Right? Um, I went down uh, to the beach. I had this almost like spiritual experience. I went down to the beach and I called everyone that I've ever met, everyone I've ever known, like definitely all my my good friends. Uh, and I said, look, I, I'm going to do this, like I'm going to direct. Uh, a Star Wars movie because that is what I truly believe uh, I am here to do, uh, and not in an arrogant way. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, like I like like ab- really, really deeply, I believed it, and uh, not that I was going to do that one because I knew that was crazy. <laughs> uh, and 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 sure enough, I wasn't <laughs> in the running for that one. Uh, but I, I did just in the same way. I'm sure you know Ryan and Gareth and a lot of the other you know Phil and Chris, uh, and even JJ. You know I'm sure. They had to at least have a moment where they felt like, "Oh, this is this is why this timing. This yeah. is why I was born at the time I was."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I and, mean, JJ did everything he could to resist it, but it was just too. Mu- I mean, it's like on paper he he did he didn't want to do that kind of a film, and yet yeah, yeah. the pull of his childhood and just the responsibility, the destiny of it all was too much, and they yeah. thought he did.
3: It was kind of my last moment of of like. Childhood optimism. <laughs> like where you know, I wouldn't ever think that way now. Right. But but after, you know, at that moment. Uh, I'll never forget it, and uh, and as far as the you know the Brad Bird thing, I think that's been, you know, they, th- he was talking to Kathy about doing the film, and he, right. he brought me up as as a possibility of well, this is this is maybe how I could do. He wanted to do Tomorrowland, and right. this is you know maybe Colin could come and help you know get things going, and then he could do one of the later ones. But it just Got it. you know it was met with a blank stare. Like I promise.
0: <laughs> was, so so what you know, I'm not going to even try and get like ploty things because we still have wonderful Ryan Johnson's film to come. Yes. But I'm going to totally.
3: But, everything you're about
0: to No, do. it's OK. But I'm just curious, like process of getting the job, of hmm. getting the ultimate job. Can you talk a little bit about sort of what that – when you ultimately uh, – was it was it a pitch for a specific sort of take on Star Wars, why you were the guy, why you went to the beach that day and why sure. you were – like what did you – and how long a process was it? Just give me – can you give me a little bit of background in terms of how you got the gig for Episode nine?
3: Um You know, I, 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 I directed Jurassic World with Kathy Kennedy's husband. Right. As my producer, and every day he saw the kinds of choices I was making. he saw the way that i I interacted with actors, the the way that I treat my crew, uh, the way that I handled a a situation that is akin to, you know, ordering off a Chinese menu for 150 people every day for three years and knowing what everybody wants to eat. Right. Uh, and it's, it's not like every film. And I think that after, you know, I was on that, I was working on the movie for two and a half years and Kathy was in and out and she was observing the way that I was, I was working. So by the time it got to the end, we had a relationship. Uh, they knew the way I think they saw the way that I, you know, I, I had taken uh, where they were at. They had, they had a script and they, they weren't happy and mm-hmm. I had conceived what we ultimately did. And, uh, you know, it was it was just a much more organic process than like come into the room and tell us tell us what you
0: want to do, right? And you you were telling me uh, when you got here, you've obviously changed your life, your family's life f- for this job. And yeah. it's its it's, a, its worth doing to get to go on this roller coaster ride that is Star Wars. You're living in England. Um, what I mean, just what is it like to kind of work with this kind of like group right now with Kathy and the team? I mean, is it a unique experience in terms of like all the resources of Lucasfilm? And and I would think, you know, Ryan's a resource and, and JJ, if you need him, et cetera. Yeah. Um, just give me a peek into that process for you.
3: Uh, it's... It's kind of beautiful, actually. I mean, it's it's a really uh, it, it's kind of that that creative socialism that you would dream would happen, uh, where you have your you know I am surrounded by people who are are brilliant and all have PhDs in Star Wars and uh, are able to you know engage in some you know, some, some really challenging questions we're asking each other, uh, not just about what happens, uh, but about why it mm-hmm. happens and what does this all mean and why was Star Wars? And, uh, you know, I, I, Kathy Kennedy and Michelle Rejwan, who's uh, uh, my creative producer, uh, and Kiri Hart and her whole story group are really the main uh, people that I interface with. Uh, but then there's Ryan and JJ who also uh, are, are involved, uh, Lawrence Kasdan. And so when you hear the... These are names that you just – you just, it gives you a certain amount of confidence sure. that
0: the, the story we're telling has been vetted. It's extreme vetting <laughs> in the best possible way. <laughs> um, have you seen uh, any cut of Last Jedi? Have you seen anything? I may have. but I... <laughs> I'm not asking you to recreate it for <laughs> not, me. I'm not going <laughs> to act
3: it out
2: for you.
0: damn it that was my follow up well have you uh, JJ uh, uh, Ryan has said that he asked JJ to make a small change at the end of um, uh, Force Awakens where he wanted R2 to go with Rey to the planet is Mm -hmm. there anything that is similar where you've asked Ryan to make a change or adjust something or, hey, can you do this because I have an idea for something in episode nine that will pay there off? There
3: was one little thing. It wasn't an adjustment. It was could you could you shoot this one extra thing while mm-hmm. you're in this place on this day? And he did it, which was great. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's part of the, the collaborative process that exists. Everyone is in communication and uh, there's, there's such a – there is such a genuine want uh, to get this right yeah. uh, from everybody, and I think that you know one of the misconceptions that I think people have is that there's some kind of uh, you know great corporate overlord that is dictating this story to everybody, and that's what it's going to be because it's going to sell the most toys. Right. The reality of it is that uh, it, it is a it's a small group of people, but it's actually you know kind of large when you think about when you think about it, and none of them are corporate. Uh, all of them are creatives and all of them are, are genuinely uh, very sincerely wanting to do the work of their lives in order to, to realize this.
0: Well, and it seems that way too. I was over at uh, at Celebration. I think you were too perhaps. Or the last, I was at the, the London, London, London one. one right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was with the most recent one and uh, and I asked, uh, you know, Kathy about sort of what happens after episode nine and, you know, she was honest. She was like, you know, we're still figuring it out. And, and you know, like the corporate kind of thing would have probably been to be like, yeah, we've already like nailed down three more release dates, etc. But like it seems like it comes from a genuine. Obviously, look, they're you know you want to make money for everybody, but like uh, they also want to do right by the fans and do right by this thing that has made meant so much to to all of us, including all the filmmakers involved. And
3: yeah, I mean, it's they're, it, they're not going to do anything unless they know it can be great.
0: Yeah. And, and and last thing, uh, like, where are you like in the process right now? I mean, like, is there a script? Or are you still kind of like working on the? There's script? a
3: script. We're definitely still writing. Uh, you know, we're designing the the, uh, the prep process in a movie like this yeah. uh, is is long, uh, and we'll we'll be shooting in 2018.
0: Cool. Well, I I love to go to London and England, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, invitation anytime. I've got number a list. I've got ten thousand on the list now. Yeah, I, I know I have Jacob <laughs> Tremblay to deal with when it comes to uh, to I was gonna say if you don't make him a Jedi, like you're gonna ruin a child's life, man. No pressure. Don't I know it, man. It's funny we uh, you know there's a photo that that uh, that they hand
3: out for the book of Henry for you know for to press and it's Jacob and I sitting on steps and he's wearing like a little magic outfit and we're talking we look like we're talking about the characters. And I remember the conversation and we were
0: talking about
3: uh, you know Anakin's fear of loss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what drove him to the dark side? Um, I'm also so excited. I mean, you're obviously hugely involved in the next Jurassic, and that you story or co-wrote it. Correct me if I I'm wrong. I wrote it. and yeah, oh, okay.
3: Derek and I. I mean, I not only did uh, I mean Derek and I wrote uh, for you know for about the first eight months, and then uh, you know when he had to move on, I I kept going, and I was the, actually the onset writer on that movie. I would show oh, up with wow. my backpack every morning, just like, what do you need, sir? <laughs> and uh, and it was amazing. It was very, uh, I, I, it is thus far, you know, my favorite creative collaboration that I've, I've ever been involved in, and in that, you know, Jay Bayona uh, is a completely different kind of uh, filmmaker and thinker yeah. than I am, yet we do have a lot of things in common. And so I was able to craft something specifically for another filmmaker for him, that man. I admire. And, and I, I built a Spanish horror thriller with dinosaurs in it <laughs> that I probably wouldn't have built for myself. Uh, but, you know, especially since, you know, he's it, he's completely adept at taking on movies of any size. In fact, his his previous movies had longer schedules than this one. Oh, really? Uh, you know, The Impossible, I think, was like 100-something days. Wow. Uh, they're very complex productions. You've seen that movie. Um, so it was really more about, you know, somebody who uh, – you know, he, he, his English is great, but it's a second language. Right. And so being able to get into the nuances of, of how, you know, people talk uh, is something that everybody was, you know, very collaborative on. And, you know, Belen Atenzio, his producer, was great, too. But I got to tell you, man, I, I think that's going to be a better movie.
0: <laughs> I'm just gonna say, it. I really do. I, I Is think, it more in a, like a, a horrific kind of scary bent? Is that one of the you know, objectives? Is that it's just deeper? It's more character
3: based, and uh, it's it's definitely leans into suspense, uh, especially in the second half. It does have the big action uh, in the middle, and there's a sequence in the middle that, you know, I've I've been watching. I mean, I watch dailies every day, but I've started to see stuff come together, and it's it's just insane. And I, I feel like you know, there. I, I apologize to uh, to those who thought they were never gonna. Need to see another Jurassic World movie because I think Ja Bayon is going to prove you're wrong. Uh, Just I, my opinion.
0: I'm a huge fan of his work. A Monster Calls was truly my favorite film of last year. Yeah. So when I heard that you guys uh, had chosen him, I was thrilled. Um, how excited ha- has it been to write dialogue for Ian Malcolm? You know, I did rely on Crichton for a lot of it. I, I, I used that. a lot
3: of Crichton dialogue. Uh, but my f- maybe one of my my highlights of this whole this whole uh, process is that. Uh, Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum called me, uh, and I'm not going to do an impression. But he, but he was like, "Look, I, uh, you know, I've added a couple. I've added a couple things. Uh, you know, just some. I thought I'd perform it for you." I'm oh, like, "Oh, God. oh, great, okay." And so we sat on the phone for an hour as he as he ran these lines, and we talked about it. And uh, I mean, that it was almost better than than being there on <laughs> set. Like it, it was it was great. And then, you know, the, I'm actually not going to be there. They're, I'm not going to be there the day that uh, they, they, that they do the next thing they're going to do yeah. uh, that we were working on. But. Uh, you know, that's part of the whole realization I've had from day one is that I show up and I realize, oh, they actually don't need me here, <laughs> and I just slowly back
0: out of the room, and they got this. Uh, them- thematically, is there anything that you can kind of tease in terms of? I mean, that's the the you did a number of things so well. I, I thought with Jurassic World in terms of tonally, it was it was it was a hard kind of thing to to hit. Where like the original Jurassic, I think you kind of uh, similarly kind of hit that kind of like wonder versus terror, that kind of like balance, and also kind of like throwing in this kind of very uh, interesting take on uh, consumerism run rampant and commercialism run rampant. Uh, I, I would expect that this isn't going to be just a thrill ride, although that's good too. Is there something deeper that you're trying to get at in, in this next one that you want to hint at?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, about our greed and and what you know the depths of depravity that humans will sink in order to satisfy uh, their need for, for profit, and uh, we're, we're certainly continuing with a lot of those themes, but in different ways. Um, but there's, you know, without spoiling anything, there's there's definitely new themes that have never been. Uh, examined in a Jurassic movie before that—that uh, that we've gotten into—that I, that I really think will expand uh, people's idea of what these movies can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's not just people running away from each other on an island or from dinosaurs on an island. Because uh, I think that's that's sort of required. I'm just I'm just not sure. It's it's not a forever franchise. Right. It's it's in a lot of ways like you know you could argue there should have just been Jurassic Park and that's the end of it. Sure. Uh, and so to be able to justify going beyond what we did, which uh yeah, we kinda kitchen synced it in a lot of ways as far as like, you know, action you can have, you know, on an island with kind of dinosaurs. Sense, exactly. you know? yeah. Uh and and hopefully we'll prove what I just said wrong for part of the movie and then uh we're we're going elsewhere.
0: Okay. So it's uh it's it's more cows we haven't seen in, in the past ones, safe to say. Safe to say. Okay. So bring it, it full circle back to, to Book of Henry. I mean, the curious thing about something like Jurassic World is like as huge a task as it was, there was there's almost weirdly kind of a template for something like that. You can kind of mm-hmm. go back and look at Jurassic and totally. other films of that type. For something like Book of Henry, hmm. there's not a guidebook for something like that. So was no. this was this one that I mean, you're still kind of fresh off of it and you're talking about it a lot. Was this in a way more challenging than yes. Jurassic?
3: Definitely. Um, And I'm a little, you know, I had to go shoot it right away. Uh, So we shot it, um, you know, probably four months after Jurassic World came out is when we started. Um, So I've been away from it. You know, I finished it probably probably nine months ago uh and so i've had a little bit of time to to be away from it but you know it's it's extremely emotionally challenging uh as a filmmaker to go to the places that this movie goes right and it was hard for all of us and you have you know naomi and i were facing down our worst fears as parents and the children are staring like the darkest aspects of childhood in the eye right and uh and and yet the movie uh does other things. It gets into a very Hitchcockian space mm-hmm. and it gets uh, suspenseful and arguably even exciting at moments in the way that, that summer movies do. And so the reason why, you know, they asked me uh, when I wanted the movie to come out. And, and you know, I love June uh, because all this, each of my movies have come out in June, four days apart from each other, 8th, 12th, oh, and 12th, wow, <laughs> the 16th. Uh, and this is going to end that, that run. But I uh, I felt like the movie does something emotionally that is sort of a, you know, it's kind of a cracked mirror version of the experience that we go through when we do see a great big summer blockbuster is, you know, are they going to make it? Yeah. Are they going to get there? And so I, I hope uh, that when people see it, they'll be open enough to uh the changes the movie goes through, you know life has no genre. Life right. does has tonal changes that happen every day we see it every week where suddenly, you know we're thrilled about something and then something horrible happens. Right. And I feel like that feeling is it's kind of new in a way, this collective feeling of of absolute horror. Uh, and th- we all have uh, probably a you know somewhat similar reaction to it is that we get angry and we want to find a way to solve it and and potentially would resort to uh, you. Know, to means that are beyond our our moral compass in order to solve it and I don't know I I I I, I I was operating off of instinct that I felt like this would be a movie for the moment, for the times, and and I hope that it is. I hope people react to it the same way I did.
0: I mean, there are a lot of cool things this summer and big summer movies. There's probably not though uh, a sequence that juxtaposes like a dance recital with like kind of a <laughs> thriller kind of sequence. A potential murder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a warped like De Palma sequence. It's very uh, unique to say the least.
3: I'm very I'm very proud. I will humbly say I'm very proud of that sequence. Uh, but I will sh- I have to share that with my editor Kevin Stitt uh, who. You know, we worked on that uh, this is probably a two-and-a-half, three-minute sequence in yeah. the movie, and uh, it juxtaposes uh, Giacchino's score uh, that layers over two va- – a talent show with children uh, yeah. and ultimately a dance uh, that Maddie Ziegler performs uh, with Naomi Watts with a sniper rifle in a treehouse <laughs> uh, with with uh, with uh, Dean Norris in her sights. And however crazy that sounds, I believe that by the time you get to that point in the movie, uh, you will be fully invested uh, in in what's going to happen. And uh, But the way that Kevin – found to uh, to cut that i i think is just virtuoso editing i think he did yeah. a fantastic job and
0: nice to have someone like giacchino in your corner who you've had a couple times uh, yeah. obviously with jurassic i assume i mean hopefully we're gonna whether it's john williams or michael Giacchino, you're gonna be in a good spot for star wars however yes. that plays out yes. um we have to send you back to england i'm afraid because you have to make a star wars movie for us Right. Uh,
3: i have to i'll tell you what i'm doing i actually have to cross the country uh, on bended knee, uh, asking Putting people the good to see word this out. movie. Yeah, well, they I, should.
0: I mean, as, as you said, I mean, look, I mean, there's, a, it's, it's. I, I admire you for kind of like mixing it up in this way because you can't, like, you know, you were both by luck and by talent. You had this amazing opportunity with Jurassic, and you clearly could have just kind of continued and done this kind of thing. And the, and, and the fact that you chose something so challenging as this material, um, it's, it's worthy of everybody's time, especially in this crowded summer movie season. These are the kind of movies that need, need some love. So I'm glad that you're getting a chance to kind of spread the good word about it man it's
3: it's i gotta say it it's almost a little bit refreshing to have done something that i don't know if anyone's gonna see Uh, (laughs) because you know you know people are gonna show up for the dinosaurs and for this like i i have to be you know completely uh earnest and just you know please come see our movie
0: (laughs) give them a chance give it a
3: chance but we you know we believe in what we did and and it was it was very much uh it was a it was made by a community of people who who felt that this story was was the right one to tell right now and and uh you know, I, I believe in it. I stand by it. So I, ho- I hope people will check it out.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you're pushing yourself in these cool and interesting ways. Uh, Book of Henry, well worth checking out. Everybody check it out and support Mr. Trevorrow's uh, endeavors. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. I'm sure I'll be talking to you a lot in the next couple of years, man. Thanks, man.
1: And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review,
0: rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs> this episode of Happy, Sad,
2: Confused was produced by Michael Katano, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.